Today's text that we're in this morning is in Jude, um, we're 17 through 23. It's a perfect text um, for our students, for our big kids, our, our little kids, just as they go through school and, um, and, and prepare themselves and set a sure foundation uh, for themselves. It is a, a great passage. And so students, pay attention this morning, please. Right, really seek out what does the Lord have for you this morning. Big kids, same thing. Really pay attention. What is the Lord trying to teach you this morning? And how am I going to apply this to our life? But now that doesn't leave us adults out, right? So we're the same thing. How is the Lord speaking to your heart so that you can make an impact, right? Not only in your life, but also in the lives of others, especially our students and our, our big kids. And the reason this is kind of a big deal for me today is because our students get to walk in a mission field that the rest of us don't get to, right? And that is their schools, their, their elementary school or high school or middle school. That, that is a mission field like none other. And you only get that mission field for a certain period of time, right? To where you get to meet new people and make an impact on people and, and those different types of things. Because we are in a society right now, we in our schools right now, our students that are just walking around in this world of confusion. Right there, it's just craziness happening in our world. And, and so we have this confusion going on anyways. But then they're trying to find happiness in whatever they can get their hands on. They're trying to find their way out of darkness, trying to cover up hurt. And now we recognize that this just isn't students, but this is all of us. And so I want to especially, though, pray for our students this morning, pray for our teachers, pray for our parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and anybody who gets to make an impact on one of our younger generations this morning and just ask that we would be God's people to them and encourage them and help them set their feet on a sure foundation, which is so important. So if you would, bow your heads with me and let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is so good to be in your house this morning, to be with your people, to worship you, the unchangeable one. Lord, this morning I specifically just lift up to you our students, our big kids, our little kids, our parents, those engaged in our school systems, Lord God. Father, I pray for those who are followers of Christ that they would just be prepared for the onslaught of just hatred and mocking, Lord, that comes their way. Father, I pray that you would allow them to anchor their feet to the hope of Jesus Christ and the truth of your word and know that nothing else stands greater than that. Father, I pray for our parents that they would continually grow in their relationship with Christ so that it just spills over onto their children as they lead them and guide them and help them grow in their own faith. Father, I pray for us as a church, that we would be a church that would desire to see this next generation grow up in their faith so much so that they begin leading and glorifying your name and all that they do. So Father, speak to our hearts this morning. 
Holy Spirit, open up our eyes and our ears and allow us to hear your voice. Allow us to take what your word says and apply it to our lives. And then live lives out there that shine your holy name and make your name great. All for your glory and your glory alone. And everybody said, amen, amen. So we are in Jude. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, um, open up your Bible to Jude. Uh, it is one of the last books. So if you're in, if you're in Revelation, uh, move forward. If you hit 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, move backwards. It's probably one page or a section of pages in your Bible. Very small book. Um, we're in Jude verses 17 through 23. And what you're going to see is kind of a transition. Uh, Jude has been talking all about them, right? Or those people, those false teachers, these other people. And now in verse 17 through 23, he transitions and he says, but you, all right? So he speaks about one more group of people, but then he says, but you. And so let us read this section of scripture together. If you would stand for the, honoring of, uh, for the honor of reading God's word and let us read 17 through 23, which says this. But you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in, lo in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. May God be honored by the reading of his word. Y'all may be seated. So the series that we're in is the battle-ready life. And in order to be battle-ready, you must have a battle plan. And so we're just going to jump right in and figure out what is this battle plan this, this morning. So the first part of our battle plan that we see in verses 17 through 19 is that we must know our enemy. So who are our enemies? Verse 18 says this, In the last time there will be scoffers. Who are these scoffers and why are they our enemy? Well, the scoffers are defined as people who follow their own ungodly passions. Scoffers are people who cause division. Scoffers are worldly people. Scoffers are devoid of the spirit. That's the definition that Jude gives us. And this isn't the first time in the past two months that, that we've heard about these scoffers here at Blue Valley. In 2 Peter, um, he, he talks about it. And actually, this is what Jude is referring to. Jude wants to remind us that there are scoffers, those who mock our faith out there. These people are not focused on Jesus. And they move in among us. And hopefully some of us are not them who mock other believers for their faith. But they move in and they begin to start rumors. And their goal is division. Their goal is to separate 
us as believers, to cause uh, strife between us. And really, they're not after main, like, deep theological issues. A lot of the scoffers' goals is just to take your focus off of Jesus Christ and to put it on something else. Take it off of the gospel, take it off of eternity, take it off of a heavenward gaze and put it on issues that maybe you're just wrestling with. Kind of looks like this. Y'all remember Veggie Tales? Are Veggie Tales still a thing? Kind of, yeah, okay. Remember the rumor weed? Rumor weed? Okay. That was one of my favorites, all right? One of my favorites because the, the rumor weed started off a little small guy, right? And he's like, hey, do this, right? But then as the rumor kept spreading, the rumor weed got huge and he kind of just got scary, right? I remember my kids kind of going, oh man, rumor weed, right? But that's generally what's happening here and, and kind of who he's talking about. Okay, these are people that are just coming into our lives saying, hey, you really believe that? You really want to follow that conviction in your life? Are you sure that's what that says? Because that's causing me to have to maybe change my life. Right? They want you to begin to doubt your faith. And students, this happens in school a ton. I want you just to doubt your faith. Just doubt it. You don't have to change anything yet. You're not going to stop going to church. Just doubt what the Lord is doing in your life. That's their goal. They want you to start believing lies and pointing out falsehoods. They want, they want to just say, hey, what about this? Now, Paul, in the book of Acts, describes these people as fierce wolves. As fierce wolves. We don't play with fierce wolves, right? You don't go out and say, come here, fierce wolf. You know, let me pet you. We don't do that. But they're dressed in sheep's clothing. And they're here to steal, kill, and destroy. So how do we know who they are? How do you discover, how do you know if somebody is, is mocking you or scoffing you or, or selling you false truths about God's word? Well, you know by knowing God's word. You know by diving into the truth of scripture, understanding scripture, being able to point out lies and falsehoods. It kind of looks like this. How many of y'all watched the Olympics this year? All right, I loved the Olympics, okay? The Olympics are just amazing to me because you have these gymnasts and you have these divers and all of these people who get judged on, on their craft, on their sport, and every one of them, I would give a 10 unless you fell off or, you know, fell off the balance beam or, or, or you know, you belly flopped into the pool. But that's because I'm not a judge, right? I'm not one of the officials that are judging the Olympics and all that is going on there. These Olympic officials, these Olympic judges, in the moment, can tell you if that dive was good or not. In the moment, can tell you 
if that balance beam routine was, was worth a certain score. They're judging your feet were too far apart. My favorite was that I heard was when she jumped on the balance beam, her head didn't tilt far enough back. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That was amazing. Or that one droplet of water was one drop too many. And they judged in the instant that that routine happened or that that dive happened. They don't get it. They don't get like us where we get to watch the replay in slow motion. And you go, yeah, that guy's legs were totally far apart. I saw that. No, but they saw it in the instance. And that's the way we need to know God's word. We need to know God's word in such a way that as soon as a falsehood comes, we can go, that's false. As soon as I'm being mocked for my belief or for a conviction that I have, we need to be able to say, no, that is not right because I'm standing on the truth of God's word. And God's word says this. We need to be like Olympic judges. In order to know the enemy, we must know the truth. Now, I want to jump back to verse 17. Because Jude tells us something. He says, remember, you were told it was going to be this way. Right? It was, it was predicted. So this should not be a surprise to us. We've been warned about these people. The apostles warned us about them. Jesus warned us about them. And Jude even reminds us in verse 5. He says, hey, this has been going on for a long time. These scoffers, these mockers were present um, with Israel after God brought them out of Egypt. These mockers were even present in heaven at the very throne room of God. Scoffers are everywhere all the time. So why remember this? Why does he say, hey, remember, this was said. In this one statement, Jude is affirming God's scripture. He is affirming the authority of God's word. It is something that we can trust. So remember, it's been told to you. We can trust it. So there's these people all around us that want to take our focus off of Jesus. They want to take our focus off of our relationship with Christ. What do we do? This is the second part of our battle plan. We need to train ourselves. Okay. Now, all of these ideas of training, you have heard before. They're Sunday school answers. Right? Good Sunday school answer is what? Jesus. Another one? Bible, another one, prayer, church, right? Those are all great Sunday school answers, and they are all very true, but we are all terrible at them. We know the answer, but we're not really good at living it out and at obeying it. So here we are, Judah's saying, train yourself. Train yourself. You know these people are out there, train yourself. So verse 20, it says this. This is the first way we train ourselves. Building ourselves up in your most holy faith. Judah's telling us to grow spiritually. Learn as much as possible of the truth of Scripture. But, but don't just read, okay? Don't just pick up your Bible every morning and say, okay, I read a section, yay, I'm done, I did it. Check the box, I feel good about myself. But no, hear what the Lord is saying to you. 
as you read, say, Lord, speak to my heart. As he speaks to your heart, you say, okay, let me explain this. Let me make sure I understand what's going on here, Lord, as you're speaking to me. And then he says, okay, now apply this. How do you apply God's word each and every day? And then you respond to it. The responding part's the hardest because we all know how to get com- have a conviction or feel guilty about something when we read our Bible. But now we need to respond. The Lord told me I should go talk to my neighbors about Jesus. Okay, how do you do that? You apply it. You say, okay, I'm supposed to go talk. And then you do what? You go talk. Right? You respond to God's word as you read it. That's how we grow in our faith. That's how we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Um, Warren Wearsby, in one of his uh, commentaries that I have, stated this. He said, there used to be a saying among Chinese, the Chinese church, no Bible, no breakfast. If we followed that motto in America, I wonder how many Christians would go hungry. <sighs> right? I get it. I get it. But that's what we need to do. We need to dive into God's word and allow ourselves to marinate in it, right? We're not just sprinkling seasoning salt on top. No, we're allowing that to soak in to our lives. Secondly, we need to train ourselves by praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's not get weird on this verse, okay, like so many uh, people do. No, the action to obey here is to what? Is to pray, right? And you pray in the Holy Spirit, right? Now, this is in contrast, praying in the Holy Spirit is in contrast to the scoffers who are devoid of the Spirit. So this is not some mystical way. There's not some mystical way to pray that false teachers use this verse to kind of steer you away. But what it does mean is to pray in the Holy Spirit, which means by the leading of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we may pray in solitude, but we're never praying alone, right? Because the Holy Spirit is there to guide us and to direct us because the Holy Spirit knows God's word and he has knowledge and wisdom of it and he can direct us and guide us as we pray. And the Holy Spirit helps us to approach the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, we allow the, the Holy Spirit to guide us as we pray. That's another way we build ourselves up. That's another way we, we train ourselves. Unlike the scoffers, right, who train themselves up following their own godly passions, devoid of the Spirit. No, we are to train ourselves, not by our own desires and passions, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit through prayer, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us. The third way that we, we build ourselves up or we train ourselves is to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, this is another verse that can be taken totally out of context. This has nothing to do about our salvation depending on us, keeping ourselves in the love of God. No, Jude would have not written the way he wrote it. And if he wanted to explain it that way, he would have said, keep yourself saved. But he wouldn't contradict himself because if you look back into verse number one, it says this, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept, 
right? Kept for Jesus. So Jude assures us and them that we are kept in Jesus. So faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ keeps us saved. Nothing that we do for or against God snatches us from the hands of Jesus. So then what does it mean to keep ourselves in the love of God? What does that look like? And this isn't a new concept either. John uh, 15, 9 says, abide or continue in the love of God. To love God means much more than just to enjoy some special feeling of love. Those of you who have been married for a long period of time know that it takes much more than just a feeling, but that your love grows deeper and deeper through the years. And this is the same for the Christian faith. A successful Christian life. There must be obedience and mutual love for one another. John, 1 John 2.5 says, Whoever keeps his words, in him truly the love of God is perfected. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commands, you shall abide in my love. We grow in our love for God. And we stay in, in God's love when we listen to his word. When we obey his word. When we delight, what, delight in doing what pleases him more than anything else. That's how we keep ourselves in God's love. And then the fourth and final thing, and this is the one we, none of us like, is this, is to wait for the mercy of our Lord. So as if reading the Bible, as if praying, as if doing all these things to train ourselves up in the faith is not enough, now we're encouraged to wait, right? Wait in the Lord, but don't give up. Don't give up because verse 21 says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's our hope. Our hope is eternal life. Our eyes are focused heavenward, right? We can trust God's word in this because his word says what? That he's coming again. And if he doesn't come in our lifetime, then what? We're promised eternal life with him. That is a glorious thing. At that moment, we receive mercy. So in our waiting, our life then is infused with expectancy. Infused with excitement for the day to come when Jesus returns. And I want to live my life completely and solely for his glory and so that he is high and lifted up in my life. Because remember, our time here is very small. But our time there is eternal, is forever. So don't let the mocking that happens steer you off course. Don't let those people who are telling you lies or sharing with you, hey, you know, are you sure you want to do that and follow Jesus that way? Don't be afraid of those. Trust your hope in his coming, knowing that he is going to return. So no matter what, no matter what storm comes your way, no matter what battle you face, just as the songs that we sang in the scripture that Pastor John read, our anchor holds firm. 
Everything else is shifting sand. But when we plant our anchor in Jesus Christ, the one who is hiding behind the veil holding it, securing that for us, it doesn't move. That should bring so much hope and so much joy to your life no matter what you're going through. And I know some of you are going through a lot. But Jesus has you. The one sure thing. The final part of our battle plan is this. To rescue others. Alright, so we are to train ourselves up. We are to know our enemies. And then we are to rescue others. And Jude gives us three groups that we are to go and rescue. And the first of these groups are those who are doubting. Right? So those who are doubting, those who begin to question the faith, those who begin to question their own convictions, those who begin questioning Jesus and the salvation that he offers. Now, these who are usually doubting are usually less mature in their walk with Christ. They're young believers. They, they haven't grown as much in their faith. And let me, let me share with you. When I was a high schooler, I surrendered my life to Christ when I was 18. And I was in high school. And I remember trying to fill my life with whatever I could that had Jesus' name on it. Back then, it was bot radio, my Bible, and any pamphlet I could pick up at church. I didn't have all knowledge on this, right? I didn't have access to this. And so whatever came my way that talked about Jesus, I was like, man, that's really exciting stuff. I remember coming home from school one day and there was a pamphlet stuck on our door and I went and grabbed it and I was like, ooh, this talks about God. This is Jesus stuff. And I started filling my life with it and going, okay, this is good, this is really good, this is amazing. And I went and took it to my student pastor and he goes, Jonathan, don't read that. Right, that's false teaching. And he, and he showed me, he didn't just show me the false teaching and point those things out, but no, he showed me something greater, and that was Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus and what Jesus has done on my behalf and how God has led me to the point where I am at. And so what is our response then to those who are doubting, those who are less mature? Jude tells us to have mercy on them, to show compassion towards them. Remember, kind, loving people. These are people who came to my door, who cared enough to tell me about this, who took time out of their day to, to share this falsehood with me. No, they're, they're, they're trying to steal you away from the truth of Scripture. So how do we respond? We respond with patience. We respond with love to those who begin to doubt. Because let me tell you, and at that moment, I wasn't doubting. I, I trusted my student pastor in my church to teach me the right things. I wasn't doubting at that point. But when you start to doubt and when you start to follow the teachings of other people that, that are not truth, um, we can start putting up defenses really quick. We can start rebelling. And teenagers, I'm going to make a blanket statement here, okay? You will understand one day. Because the rest of us were teenagers once. Those who begin to doubt become like teenagers. Thinking they know everything. Right? Thinking that they understand all of life. And everything that life has to offer. 
So instead of just pointing out falsehoods to somebody who doubts, no, you need to show them and magnify the greatness of God and magnify Jesus Christ. That's how we respond to those who begin to doubt. The second group of people that we need to rescue are those that need to be snatched from the fire. And let me talk about this idea, this word snatch. This, this idea of snatch is basically um, you're walking down the road with your grandchild or your child, and your child decides to take off into the middle of the busy street. Never happens to you guys, Wiggins, right? Right? John Silas just taking off. He goes straight, you know, and takes off running. What do you do? You grab anything that you can get your hand on, and you yank them back, Right? Whether it's a ponytail, whether it's pants, whether it's an arm, whatever, you yank them back. It's kind of the same idea when you first started riding in the front seat with your parents and your dad became the seatbelt, <laughs> right? It's kind of like that idea. That is, the snatching back is what needs to take place. Now, the dangers of this is that when we snatch, when we pull somebody out from danger, it kind of hurts that person, right? When mom grabbed your ponytail and yanked you back or your arm and yanked you back and you're like, ow, that hurt. There's, there's pain in it. There's not only pain for the one that you're saving from the fire, right, from the danger, but also to the person who's doing the saving because now there's that relationship that I've got to mend back and tell you, I did this because I love you. I did this because I'm trying to protect you. So that's the second group. And the final group are those that have already fallen for false teaching and have left the church. Now, this group, if you notice, should also be shown mercy. But be shown mercy with fear. Mercy with caution. So why caution? Well, because we might get caught up into what they're dealing with, the error or the trap that they are consumed by. Most, or, or not most, but many would-be rescuers would be drowned by the drowning person. So Judah's pointing out that strong believers must never think that they're beyond influence of false teaching. That's why he brings up this idea of the Old Testament of, of the, the, the garment stained by the flesh. He's saying, that defiled us back then, this can defile us now. So we must take seriously the sin of false teaching, hating even the garments that have been stained by it. So let's close out with this. We need to rescue others, we need to train ourselves, and we need to know our enemies. How do we do that? How do we make that happen? I mean, truly make it happen. I know all of you know the Bible answer. We're, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to study more. That only really happens through discipleship. All right. None of us are too young or too old to be in discipleship. To either be discipling someone or being discipled by someone. Now, Pastor Derek said a couple weeks ago that I would bring this up, and here it is, right? It is your choice to be discipled. Now, this process that we, we've worked on and, 
and, and are continuing to, to work on is this. You choose three or four other people, guys with guys, girls with girls, and you read God's word together. You pray together. You memorize scripture together. You carry one another's burdens together. You practice the disciplines together. That's discipleship. Now, I understand if I were to say, hey, Pastor John, I would like to disciple you. You want me to disciple you? You know, that's kind of a weird question, right? But if I said, hey, Pastor John, why don't you, me, and a couple other guys get together on a weekly basis, studying God's word, praying for one another, encouraging one another, memorizing God's word, uh, would you be interested in doing that? And John would obviously say, absolutely. I would love to be a part of that with you, right? But it's your choice. We're not going to set up some sign-up event for you to sign up to start a discipleship group. It's your choice to say, you know what? I need to do this in my life. I need guys, I need girls in my life that will help me stay accountable and staying in God's word so that I can know the truth. Learning to pray, learning to fast, learning to evangelize, learning to do all the disciplines that we're called to do. So we're asking you for a year to 18 months to make a commitment to these groups. And then once you're done, at the end, about six weeks left, you guys as a group start praying and saying, who else needs to be a part of a discipleship group? Who are two or three others that I can grab and have come alongside me? And then start the process all over again. That's discipleship because none of us should ever step away from discipleship either feeding into somebody's life or feeding off of somebody's life. So Dr. Tracy came up here and said one more, one more thing of we need help. We're not talking just adults dive into this, but our adults need to then feed into our little kids. We have amazing age-graded ministries here at Blue Valley. Amazing. But it takes people who love Jesus to show them who Jesus is. So if, if you're not serving in one of those areas or you have questions about what does it take, what do I need to do, it really shouldn't be a what does it take. Everybody, we should all go, I want to sacrifice my life so that these kids, so that these students know Jesus and know how to walk with him. That should be a joy to us. So try to find opportunities. Look for ways to give your faith to other people and look for ways to deepen your own. Let's pray.